North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to Dr. Low Radio, where you hear the very best in natural medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. So happy to be here. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for the continued support for the show. We're consistently in the top five in the health section of Blog Talk Radio, so it's great out of 1,200 shows. I'm always so proud of that. Thanks again for tuning in and all the listens and all the good feedback. We have a great show scheduled again for you guys tonight, and I'll introduce our guests in just a second, but just want to give you some announcements. Um, If you don't know about me, definitely check out the website, drlaurennoel.com. That's D-R-L-A-U-R-E-N-N-O-E-L.com. I'm at a new practice at Bloom Natural Health, so check us out, bloomnaturalhealth.com in the San Diego area. Um, We are having an event this Thursday night at 6 o'clock at our clinic. So if you want to come by, check it out. We're giving a free health lecture. We're going to talk all about superfoods. We're going to talk about deep breathing techniques, all kinds of good stuff. So come and check us out. Um, Let's see here. Facebook page is facebook.com slash Noel. And then the Twitter page, twitter.com slash Noel. I take questions on Facebook and Twitter, and I'll be doing my best to check those tonight. And of course, the call-in number if you have questions for us is 818- Four nine five six nine one nine. The show tonight is all about fasting, water fasting, and juice cleansing. And we have a expert on the show, and I'll introduce him in just a sec. But just to let you know, the next few shows. So next show we will have Dr. Abu Nassar back on the show. He was actually on a couple months ago, and we were talking about memory and brain health. It's a really popular show that we had, and we're going to have him back on to talk about anti-aging techniques. So that's next week's show on February 28th, again at 6 o'clock Pacific time. So tune into that. And then the following week, we will have Kevin Gianni on the show. He's from the Health Renegade, and we'll finally have him on. We've rescheduled a couple times, so... Hopefully that will work out on February or excuse me on March 6th. That's in a couple of weeks. But for tonight, we have Dr. Mark Carney on the show. He is actually a mentor of mine of many, many years. I remember even before going to naturopathic school, I shadowed him. I got I had the amazing blessing to shadow him for 2 years before even um applying to school, and I was able to see the most debilitating conditions reversed, left and right, incurable conditions that people would just walk out and they would just get abundant health seeing this doctor. He's amazing, and I learned so much. I was really lucky. And um, so, and then once I went to school, every time I go back to see my family, I got to shadow him some more. And so I'm, I'm very lucky to call him a mentor of mine. He's a wonderful guest. You guys will definitely see that tonight. So Dr. Mark Carney, he is a licensed naturopathic physician and acupuncturist. He and his wife, uh, Carly, have a family practice together in their Built Green Clinic, Your Healing Place in Denver, Colorado, and his wife is a chiropractor, and she's fabulous. He graduated from the University of Colorado and Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. He has a master's in Oriental Medicine from the International Institute of Chinese Medicine, and he completed a family medicine residency at uh, the National College of Natural Medicine, where I went to school. Dr. Carney's practice encompasses a wide array, including women's health, pediatrics, and men's health. 
He specializes in nutritional medicine and nature cure therapeutics, such as fasting. Dr. Carney serves as the chair on the nutrition examination for the NPLEX. That's the examination that naturopathic doctors take. And he is a member of several professional organizations, such as the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians and the Colorado Association of Naturopathic Doctors. He lectures regularly at the University of Colorado, uh, local corporations, and many other community venues. And also, he is writing a book on fasting, and he's published several medical articles. His hobbies include hiking, playing chess and piano, participating in drum circles, which I've actually joined him in doing that once, and cooking. And he lives in his native city of Denver with his wife and daughter, his adorable daughter. And for more information, check him out at yourhealingplace.com. And we're so happy to have him, Dr. Carney. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. And it only seems like yesterday that um, <laughs> you were here shadowing me. I was such a baby. I remember the interview, you know, coming in and saying, I want to learn naturopathic medicine. <laughs> and Well, we you, um, I mean, it, the saying goes, when the when the student is ready, the teacher appears. But it's so often the case that... Um, the roles get reversed from time to time as well, so I learned from you. Oh, that's sweet. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show, and, um, you know, I'm excited to talk about this topic because this is something I learned a, a ton about from you and had the opportunity of actually experiencing a water fast um, for 10 days, which, you know, we can obviously talk about that experience, and you've done this yourself. So, you know, we have this... Um, personal experience with it also obviously from working with patients and knowing about the research and so it's a lot of you know a lot of exposure to this topic but um first of all let's just kind of jump into a little bit about your story for people who aren't familiar so sure you know how did you become dr carney and why you know why this topic of water fasting as, as an interest of yours well both um are answered in the same way and and when i was four years old is when it started at a friend's place in the mountains, his mother showed me, um, pointed to the ground, and I saw this little tiny strawberry, much smaller than the size of most people's pinky fingernails. And she encouraged me to pick it and to taste it, and it, it tasted so good I could even taste it right now, um, just thinking about it. And that, that taught me at an early age that um, to have a respect for nature and to look to nature whenever there was an issue or a problem or a challenge because... I believe my belief is that there's an answer. The answer lies within the woods, the wilderness, the beaches, the um, the desert, etc. Later on, I decided um, that I wanted to become a physician, and I had not heard of this profession. So I um, I did some training uh, my, in my pre-med classes. Um, shadowing with some doctors. They were conventionally trained medical doctors or DOs, doctors of osteopathy. And then one day I was in a Whole Foods, not Whole Foods, a Wild Oats, what was then Wild Oats health food store, or no, it was Alfalfa's. And um, I was I was getting something there and, and there was a lady holding a, a book and she was so engrossed in what she was in that book that I felt compelled to ask her, what is that book? And normally I'm a little more reserved. I wouldn't impose. But the way she was holding it and her something about her demeanor, I had to ask. And it turned out that that book was written by a naturopathic doctor. And it was like the clouds opened up and the, the ray of sun beamed down on top of my head because I, I was at that point determined to go to a conventionally uh, conventional medical school. So I um, 
I remember the book. I bought it a month later, read the little blurb about the author, and then went to the yellow pages and found that there were maybe six or seven naturopathic doctors listed at that time and called all of them. A few of them invited me in to um, their office so I could meet with them and they could chat. And I was clear from that moment on that this was the profession I wanted to go into. With regard to water fasting, um, again, it's it's one of the most simple things. It's We're looking to nature and the way that our bodies are designed, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, over the next hour, um, to just step away and let, let nature take its course and heal. And that's what water fasting does, in my, to, to sum it up in simplest terms. Got it. So what was your first introduction into water fasting? Well, um, true, like, not for any other purpose other than um, the fast itself. I was a second-year student at Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, and one day I just stopped eating. (laughs) There wasn't really a (laughs) conscious decision. It just happened. I was busy, whatever. And next thing I know, I went a whole day without eating. And I've done this before for um, spiritual or religious purposes, so it was nothing new. But then the next day, um, I decided to continue it. And the third day, I continued The fourth day, the fifth day. The only reason it stopped was I was at a friend's house, and she was making burritos, and they smelled <laughs> so good. And so I, um, I broke my fast on a homemade burrito. And I later learned <laughs> that's really not... That's not the ideal way to break a fast. Um, well, stay tuned, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I'm sure. Um, awesome. So that was my. I did everything wrong. I was still going to school. I was. I, pro- I think I even played racquetball one time, and just all kinds of things that really are not optimal to to allow nature to come in and, and do what nature does best, which is heal. Um, later, it was probably jumping forward another ten years. Um, I decided, because at that point I had been trained in fasting, and I do want to pay tribute, this is as good a time as any, to my my mentors in fasting, Alan Goldhammer at True North Health and the other folks there, Joel Furman, um, Alec Burton in in Australia, Kiki Sidwa in England, the late DJ Scott, who I didn't train with directly but have great admiration for, and then Herbert Shelton, who um, has written so many books on, on fasting and really um, systematized and, and made into a science uh, the, the approach that was called natural hygiene and now is called the National Health Association. So I, I did some training with Alan Goldhammer and, and with Joel Furman at their respective fasting centers, inpatient centers in, in the year 2000, 2001, and uh, proceeded to supervise fast after fast with a lot of patients. And then in 2006, I decided I'd like to really do this properly and so I can have much more first-hand experience. So I I ended up doing a 12-day water-only fast, which is a medium length, depending on how you look at things, and learned a tremendous amount. And I I made a point to um, really prepare well for that and and to keep all of my activities to a minimum during that fast. So those are my experiences that's great. So let's uh, let's just kind of step back and start with the basics. So for so those of you who aren't you know um, familiar with water fasting, so what is water fasting? And give kind of a perspective to like the history of that too. Sure. Well, um, 
I guess it should be pointed out that fast is a four-letter word that starts with the letter F. Um, there are different types of fasting, and by definition, when I refer to the word, and many others refer to the word fasting or fast, we're re- referring to a water-only fast, which is really an intentional and voluntary act of abstaining from ingesting anything except for water, and it, this occurs during a state of rest. Now, there's another way to fast, and that's even more extreme, and that is what's called a dry fast, and that's total abstinence from ingesting all substances, even abstaining from drinking water. Some people refer to uh, going on a juice cleanse. They call that many times a juice fast, and that's fine. But just to be clear with terms, I I use the the term cleanse in reference to drinking nothing but juice. And I recently completed a 45-day juice cleanse. And I'm a big fan of both, um, juicing and um, water-only fasting, in that they both are can, can really create profound changes for somebody. Um, Juicing and fasting are very similar in some ways and different in others. But there's other ways to liquid fast too. So some people drink just the the water from a coconut over an extended period of time. Some people do soups or broths. um, Or there's this thing called the master cleanser that's very popular, which is essentially um, a bunch of fresh squeezed lemon with maple syrup, water, and a pinch of cayenne pepper and there's a ratio for those, and that's all that somebody drinks for an extended period of time. And by extended period of time, I mean um, days or weeks. Um, Some people have even done what's called juice feasting instead of juice fasting, and they go on for 90 days or longer. But they add in things like olive oil and other components that I think change the whole complexion of things, and I don't necessarily agree with that. And even though I don't agree with it, still people get great benefit from it. Um, so that's a spectrum of, of cleansing uh, with with reference to liquid substances. I think of fasting as just simply being a reset button. It's a way that our body can reestablish a state of homeostasis, a state of health, um, and it does so many other things. But it's definitely activating with water only an intelligent adaptation of our body built into our blueprint, into our DNA. And that's the only way to access that adaptation is with water only. As soon as we take in any calories, as in with juicing, um, we we no longer are able to access that, apt- at that adaptation. Okay, so we'll get into it a little bit later about the different um, types and, and, you know, what conditions may respond to what, you know, for people. But let's get a little bit of perspective. So what's the history of fasting and how has this been used around the world? Great question. The history of fasting traces back to the history of humanity. Um, And to put it in context, everybody fasts. In fact, I'm fasting right now. I've just had some water. There's nothing in my mouth. And you're probably fasting as well, and many of the listeners, unless there's something in your mouth. If you were to spit it out, then you're, you're starting to fast. Um, the, so the dawn of humanity is really when it started. There's, there's evidence that our distant, distant ancestors intentionally fasted. And this is from the Stone Age evidence um, that shamans would invoke the fasting response as a method of healing. I don't know how they determined that. Um, I've definitely looked up the references, and it wasn't clear if it was archaeological reference or something. But um, So fasting has been, in, been around since as long as we've been around. 
if you think about it, it was feast or famine for our distant ancestors. They were either successful with the hunt or with the gathering, or they weren't. And when they weren't, they were fasting. Those who couldn't fast didn't live long enough to pass their genetics on to the next generation. Um, those who could did. And so that's the adaptation response that I'm talking about. There's um, Fasting has manifested itself in one way or another into almost every major world religion. And um, in recent times, meaning in the last several hundred years, because it, it's clear that the pre-Greeks fasted, um, there was fasting even in traditional Chinese medicine, um, depending on which dynasty we're looking at, but um, in more recent times, fasting really started um, becoming popular within healthcare professions of the Western type with Isaac Jennings, who was a medical doctor who lived in the late 1700s all the way through the late 1800s. He was one of the earliest physicians in the United States to u utilize fasting as a therapy. He also embraced what was called nature cure and a vegetarian way of eating. Eventually, what he, his ideas and how he treated patients evolved into the hygiene movement, natural hygiene, which is now the National Health Association. So that's what um, Herbert Shelton, who lived in the late 1800s to the late 1900s, that's what he took the ball with and ran. Um, um, however, it's noteworthy that, uh, to mention about Henry Tanner, who was also a medical doctor, and Tanner was in poor health, and so he had heard that one of the um, gentlest ways to die was to just stop eating. And he did, and uh, he continued to drink water. Ultimately, um, long story short, he got better and better and better and better, and finally he broke his fast. And you can read about this in the British, British Medical Journal. There's an article about Henry Tanner's fast. Um, for those who are interested in more information, it's really interesting historical uh, viewpoint. But so Tanner became a believer in fasting. And then, as I mentioned, Shelton um, really systematized a variety of approaches under what, is, what was called the hygiene movement. And um, he had inpatient facilities, which were called sanitariums, and people would go there to fast, including my mentor, um, Dr. Joel Furman, who fasted for 46 days at Herbert Shelton's place um, to heal an injury. Um, Joel Furman was a uh, world figure skating champion who suffered this intense injury and um, went from one surgeon to the next, wasn't able to get any um, good advice. And so remember that his father had, had uh, a dramatic healing from asthma by fasting at Shelton's place. So then Furman fasted there and uh, his injury healed. So there's modern fasting gurus, as I mentioned, Dr. Alan Goldhammer in Northern California, Dr. Joel Furman, uh, Dr. Alec Burton, who's probably the most experienced in fasting, um, supervising fasts of anyone alive today, and he's in Australia. Hmm. Okay. And with Kiki Sidwa as a close second. Mm-hmm. I was I was uh, just kind of perusing online, looking at the history of fasting, you know, different religions, and every religion that I could come across has an element of fasting to it. I mean, it's just so interesting, though, in our culture, it's like we're just so overfed, you know? It's like if we go with two hours without food, it's like we have to snack for snack on something. It's just so anti-American to fast, you know? That's exactly right. I think our bodies are really designed to be able to go long periods of time 
without eating and to do that well. And and um, the people who, and this is really common for patients to say if I'm suggesting that they go on an extended fast, and they're thinking, you know, 12 hours is a common thing, right? 12 hours in water only for a cholesterol test or other kinds of medical tests for blood draws. They're thinking when I, instead of 12 hours, I'm saying 12 days. They're like, but I can't skip a meal. I get really cranky. That's the kind of patient who actually really needs a fast more than almost anyone else because mm-hmm. we're supposed to be able to access the storage form of our glucose, the glycogen, which is in our liver um, and in our muscle tissues primarily. We're supposed to be able to access that easily. And the people that get cranky or shaky and they call it hypoglycemia and nine times out of ten, if you did a finger stick right there when they're, they're thinking that they're going through a hypoglycemic event, um, if you did a finger stick, it would show that they're really in a normal range. They're not having hypoglycemia. Just people have, don't even know what that word means. They just they associate it with shakiness and not eating. Um, so that that's a, that's a, a really good example of someone who would benefit from a fast. Okay. So what happens exactly to your body when you're fasting? Like what's the biology, the physiology behind it? Good question. So this adaptation response that I was talking about is essentially um, when we've gone without any calories for a long enough period of time. There's, um, Goldhammer talks about these eight different um, components that occur during fasting. There's a neuroadaptation, meaning that the, uh, the body's nervous system resets. There's an enzymatic recalibration, which means that the enzymes, the metabolic enzymes, are able to reset. There's a weight loss that occurs, usually about a pound or less per day. It depends on a lot of variables, but if someone's fasting properly, it could be half a pound a day. There's a, the de- detoxification pathways of the body are ramped up, and, and we're talking now in the liver and the kidney, the cytochrome P450 enzyme systems. There's an insulin sensitivity mechanism, so at the muscle cell, the muscles become more sensitized to insulin, um, and then the fat adipose tissue, the adipose cells, become less sensitized to insulin which is really what we want. There's a naturiuresis, meaning that the uh, body sheds salt in the first 72 hours of just drinking water. And so um, as sodium is excreted, so is water. So there's a lot of water loss in the first few days of fasting. There's also this reduction of gut leakage, meaning that the permeability of the lining in our intestines and our digestive tract where food would pass through, um, that that gets improved so that too many things aren't passing through at large in larger shapes and, and therefore potentially confusing the immune system. And then um, there's something that's called sympathectonia. So it, that, that part of the nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, gets reset as well. But more specifically, there's this notion um, of three phases of fasting. So there's a gastrointestinal phase, meaning within the first few hours, any food that's still residing in the digestive tract gets utilized for fuel. Then there's a second phase called the glycogenolysis where the glycogen, which is the storage form of glucose in our body, like I mentioned, it's in the liver and in the muscles, that that gets utilized for fuel. And that um, happens pretty quickly. The glycogenolysis is probably done um, before the second day of fasting in most cases. And then there's a ketosis phase. 
So that's where our body burns fat for fuel. And that lasts, and that goes on, that's an ongoing phase. Most people who are um, well-fed and um, disease-free, drug or not on any medications, uh, would be able to fast, and I don't want to say no problem, but um, but able to do pretty well on a fast for 30 to 40 or more days. And there was a story of this um, gentleman in Sweden, I believe, who was trapped in the snow in his car for two months. He had nothing to eat. Um, he melted snow. I don't know how he melted it because I guess this was freezing temperatures. <laughs> how he melted that to get his water. And there he was until he got rescued. So, um, And there's stories like this all the time, people trapped in caves or snowdrifts or whatever the case may be. Um, of course, not everyone survives those. But So it, all throughout the fast, there's still small amounts of glucose being produced, and that's with an interesting pathway um, without going into too great a detail, although I know there's a wide um, variety of listeners here, some who... Um, probably could rattle off these biochemical pathways without having to consult a chart uh, or look in a textbook. Anyway, so the muscle, some of the muscle gets broken down and then eventually gets converted into glucose. But the less activity somebody does, uh, the less need for calories. So the body's really smart. It's going to preserve the muscle and it's it's going to go into the fatty tissue first. And if you think about it, how many calories per gram are how many calories are in one gram of carbohydrate? Nine. No, four. Four. <laughs> four. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then how many calories in one gram of protein? Four. And how many in one gram of fat? Nine. <laughs> so there's more than double the amount of calories available for the body to access in its storage form as fatty tissue. Um, but if somebody, there's there are people who are obese that have, tons of fat reserve, but a very small amount of muscle reserve, and they would not, it'd be counterintuitive, you'd think they'd be able to fast a really long time, um, and some can, but if there's just a small amount of muscle, then that could be, become a problem later on in a fast when they're um, burning through that reserve. So the, the amount of calories that are available in fat, um, which more than double the, the amount in carbohydrates, which would be like glucose, so... Um, or which would be the glycogen storage, or in protein, which would be burning the protein and turning it into glucose. Um, a person could go a long time. That's why average person can go 30, 40 days virtually no problem if they prepared for it properly. So this ketosis thing is really a key component here. And there's a number of articles published in the medical literature that talk about ketosis and how mild ketosis is a useful um, potentially useful therapy for a variety of conditions and to rattle off a few of them but not to go through the whole list would be things that um, um, some some seizure disorders, certain types of seizure disorders um, and then certain um, potentially autoimmune conditions definitely inflammatory conditions any, any condition that involves inflammation, chronic inflammation um, so those are some of the the changes that occur with one's physiology and biochemistry. Um, there's certainly a whole lot more. Um, and maybe if there's, what do you think, if there's time we go into more of that? or Well, probably digestive disorders too, right? Anybody with something like that, I mean, that would be a huge benefit for them. Definitely. And, and it, well, in and, and the list of benefit with fasting, um, 
is much longer. It's uh, what I was referring to specifically some of these articles about ketosis and, mm-hmm. and using okay. that as a benefit. It, there's th- other ways to establish ketosis, and that's with um, just having a very high-fat diet, like the Swank diet or um, the Atkins diet, where they do protein and um, fat, but no very little carbs, if any. Um, mm-hmm. That's a different beast. It still achieves kind of a similar endpoint biochemically, but the way that it gets to that is is not necessarily something I would recommend. Mm-hmm. So getting to ketosis using fasting is more beneficial than doing something like the swank diet or like a very low-carb diet is what you're saying? Correct. Okay. Got it. Interesting stuff. So, and and I think the really important thing too for listeners to really take away from this is that if you're going to do a long-term fast, you need to, like you say, be a bear and hibernate. This isn't something that you're going to be going to work and you're going to be exercising and all that because that changes the biochemistry of the body. Correct. Right. It, it increases the demands on um, the body. And so, if if we're at base base level, if we're um, our average person burns 1,500 calories in a 24-hour period of rest. But if we're not resting, then we can, right off the top, and most people are sedentary, we can add another 30% to that. So uh, most people need more than 2,000 calories per day just to maintain their body weight. So if you're back to resting, um, you need less. And throughout a fast, the basal metabolic rate decreases um, at a rate of approximately 1% per day until it stabilizes at around 75% of the pre-fasting baseline. So if someone's pre-fasting baseline is a metabolic rate that burns 1,500 calories, then their body is going to need to, and it and it decreases down to 75% of that, their, their body is going to need to burn enough stored fatty tissue to equal that approximately 1,200 calories. Hmm. Okay. And then we Got could it. do the math, calories per gram, et cetera. Um, so a person is going to lose weight, and if they're not moving around very much, if they're like a bear and hibernating, that way it will be coming from the fatty tissue. And other ancillary or less important tissue, the, this is talking now about the vis metacotrix naturae, the healing power of the body, the wisdom and the intelligence of the body. It's not going to burn into somebody's brain for fuel <laughs> because it knows that that's, that's a very important structure. It should keep that until last. So it's going to burn into the fatty tissue, any placking in the arteries, any scar tissue, um, if there's cysts or fibroids or some of these unnecessary things, it'll it'll target those for fuel first and digest that. And there's a process called autolysis. Um, some really good articles so cool. have been published about autolysis occurring in the nervous system, which is really amazing. Um, wow. Or autophagy so is another term. So so we kind of talked about some of the conditions like seizure seizure disorders, autoimmune disease, inflammatory conditions. Those are conditions that can benefit from this ketosis that happens. What are some other um, diseases or conditions that might benefit from doing a, a, a water fast? Well, just to put in some categories instead of rattling off specific diseases. Um, so allergies, whether they're environmental, food, or seasonal. Autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, Sjogren's. Um, environmental exposure. DDT or PCBs, there's been some studies about this. The fasting was really helpful. That has to be done very carefully under um, someone, uh, an experienced practitioner, um, because as some of those toxic chemicals are coming out, they can cause more harm again. Um, Certainly essential hypertension. So Dr. Goldhammer and colleagues showed that um, fasting was actually the best 
therapy at reducing blood pressure. The higher the blood pressure, the better. And this was essential hypertension, not secondary hypertension. And then at follow-ups, um, I think they did three months, one year, and even beyond follow-ups. If somebody still followed the dietary guidelines, and they, they use the hygienic guidelines, the um, National Health Association guidelines for eating uh, mostly a vegan diet, um, whole food diet, so the um, the people were able to maintain their benefit from the fast. Then there's the inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis that have shown benefit from fasting. Um, insulin resistance or prediabetes, even type 2 diabetes, as long as somebody's not on insulin, that could become a, a, a one of the contraindications to fasting if somebody's insulin dependent or type 1 diabetic. Psychiatric conditions have been studied, especially in Russia, um, things like addictions, anxiety, mild to moderate depression, schizophrenia, um, all responded favorably to fasting. And people don't need, um, well, let me one more kind of laundry list, acne or as an adjunct to chemotherapy. I'd like to talk more about that in a little bit. Appendicitis that's uncomplicated, um, as a, again, in the, in the hands of a skilled practitioner. Arthritis, asthma, eczema, environmental illnesses, fibrocystic breast disease, um, glomerulonephritis, that's acute, headaches and migraines, irritable bowel or SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, infertility, pancreatitis, psoriasis, multiple sclerosis, recovery from trauma, and then uterine fibroids. But um, someone could just use fasting as a tool to enhance wellness or as a longevity tool. And mm -hmm. there's data that continues to emerge and grow about calorie restriction. Certainly when we're fasting, we are restricting calories uh, severely, of course. Um, so these are, uh, rheumatoid arthritis is one example. These, these all, all of these things that are listed are in the medical literature. There's over 40 articles on rheumatoid arthritis and fasting, a lot of it from the Scandinavian countries. Wow. So cool. So, so you mentioned type one diabetes as a, as a contraindication. What are some other conditions or states or populations that should not do a water fast? So, a, kind of a not necessarily all inclusive list, but a pretty thorough list would be advanced malnutrition. If someone has a severe anemia, um, cancer would be a caution, not necessarily a contraindication. Again, we'll hopefully have time to cover a little bit more on cancer. Children, although children certainly can fast, but that would be a caution. Eating disorders, um, there's some evidence, though, that fasting might be beneficial in certain types of eating disorders. Um, when I was doing my training the, um, at, at True North Health in, in Northern California, one of the patients had an eating disorder, and our job as interns was to do a number of things. One was to check their urine and um, of course, on a urine dip, a standard dip, there's going to be 10 things we check for, and one is ketones. And the ketones should be made um, as soon as we start fasting. Even for many people, even several hours into a water only, they start making ketones, and it becomes full-blown ketosis after two or three or four days. Well, this patient didn't have, have ketones anymore, and she was supposed to be fasting. The, so the answer uh, to that riddle was that in the middle of the night, she was sneaking into the kitchen and eating pounds of cashews, taking herself out of the fasting mode, out of ketosis. <laughs> so that was a case where eating disorder was not necessarily very helpful. Fear, uh, Alec Burton in Australia says that really the only true contraindication, absolute contraindication to fasting is if someone's afraid of it because um, mm -hmm. that will change the whole complexion of things. 
there is a rare uh, inborn error of uh, metabolism called abbreviated MCAD, medium chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency. And there are other glycogen storage diseases as well, and so those would become contraindications. It means a person can't get into ketosis. There's that rate-limiting step. The MCAD um, enzyme is just is missing, and they can't do it. So the, if somebody's in, in their adult life, they, they would know if they've already had that, most likely. And this is rare. It's, some estimate uh, one out of 10,000 people have this, one out of 15,000 people. I only In my whole career, I've only met one person who really had this. Um, mm. If someone's on medications, that could certainly become a contraindication or certainly a caution, um, depending on what kind of medications they're on. Most of the time, the person's weaned off the medications before the fast or by day three of the fast. And um, if they can't wean off it, then that would be a time to think of maybe juicing, juice cleansing instead of fasting. Porphyria, mm -hmm. so there's this um, another metabolic disorder if someone has porphyrias, and they may not know about this, um, then it would certainly be a contraindication to fasting. And a, an acute porphyria attack can occur during a fast, so somebody needs to know what they're doing when they're supervising to be able to look for mm -hmm. this, although, again, that's very rare. If someone's pregnant, it would be a contraindication, but Alec Burton uh, mentions that he's fasted a few patients who were pregnant uh, for any great length of time, um, or lactation, because then you could have the milk dry up. Um, mm -hmm. Although I know a patient who fasted 11 days um, and was had already the, the the child had already weaned, she was still producing milk though from her breasts, and then she fasted 11 days and was still producing milk. So mm -hmm. um, it's not always in the <laughs> yeah, it's very mm -hmm. interesting. There are certain renal pathologies that would also be a contraindication, and then as I mentioned, type 1 diabetes or type 2 when they're insulin dependent. They'd have to get off the insulin, otherwise you'd create a, a blood sugar problem if they're still injecting with insulin during a fast. Okay, so for those listening, they want to get kind of into the nitty-gritty. They want to do a fast. Um, let's talk a little bit about just the how-to. So how do you start a fast? How long do you recommend? How do you get off the fast? Just kind of go into how this is done. So I'd recommend not to do what I did on my first fast, which is to stop eating and continue that. <laughs> I'd... <laughs> I'd suggest to be very intentional about this and prepare. And the better prepared for the fast, the more likely that fast will be smooth sailing. Fasting is very safe. Um, there's really um, most people are going to have uh, either uh, a normal, like a, an uneventful fast, or um, if they have symptoms or whatever, as long as they're prepared properly, they'll be pretty minimal. Um, but things can occur during a fast, and so to prepare for it properly will minimize that from happening. And the proper preparation includes, um, for most people, if they're eating a standard American diet, I'd say a minimum of three months of cleaning up the diet and getting rid of all processed, refined anything, just going with whole food. Eventually, and it depends how long somebody's planning on fasting, eventually weaning off of any animal-based product uh, as an example of something I've just mentioned about refined items, so even oils like you know fish oil, which is really great for so many conditions, or olive oil, which can be really um, a useful, helpful item, going off of those items is, is important. So then eventually as you get close to the fast, going off of animal-based products, um, and then as you get even close to the fast, going off of grains and legumes, and then as you get close to the fast, so that basically just you're, you're a vegan, 
and, and in eating cooked and raw vegan plant-based foods than just going to raw vegan. And all the while, somebody can be incorporating fresh-made vegetable juices, fresh prepared, not the kind you'd get at the store that's been pasteurized, but with a juicer and actually going through the effort of washing and chopping and juicing it and drinking you know, 16 ounces of juice or so a day. I'd say the day before the fast or even two days before the fast to have just fresh-made vegetable juice. And we're loading the body with lots of antioxidants to prepare it for the cleansing that's about to take place. So uh, if someone's on medications, they need to consult with the person who prescribed those medications to be able to wean off those medicines. There's a, a variety of things I do and other practitioners when they're supervising a fast is uh, a number of tests to make sure that um, like a complete blood count and a metabolic panel, make sure the liver enzymes are fine and that the person's not anemic, not currently in any infection. So we want to do this during a state of calm. If there's some kind of acute condition that's flaring up, we want to wait to start the fast until that's resolved. Got it. And so they start the fast, and how long do you recommend that people do their fast for? A good, a really, that's the classic question, and if there was mm-hmm. some kind of magic way to figure that out, uh, let me know. But um, <laughs> Alan Goldhammer has a great answer to that That's that's more of a cryptic kind of a riddle, as brief as possible, but as long as necessary. Uh, what does that mean? So <laughs> some factors that can determine how long a person could safely fast would be the size of their nutritional reserves, and that can be determined from a history and physical exam and blood work and other things. The amount and type of activity that they're going to be engaging in during the fast. I had a patient who was a mortician. He fasted 30 days. He couldn't get off, but he absolutely was determined to fast, and so um I agreed to supervise his fast. He was still going to work and, of course, breathing in the embalming fluid and all of that. Um, not an ideal situation. So if, <laughs> if someone's the opposite, like a bear that's just hibernating, they can certainly fast a lot longer. The climate that the patient lives in. So if you're in a really cold climate during a fast, our metabolism slows down. We want to um, uh, keep the person warm, so with space heaters, blankets, etc. If they're in a warmer climate, that, that seems to bode better for a longer fast. Um, the amount of time that the person can allot towards the fast in their own personal life. Maybe they have to get back to work. They can take a month off, or maybe they can only take a week off. Or, um, And then also whether the uh, symptoms arise during their fast. It would determine the need to terminate the fast ahead of schedule. Uh, there might be something that just says, okay, you know, we, we need to break this fast. Or if they have previous experience with fasting, the body seems to get better with fasting the more often we do it. So someone's first fast, even if it goes smoothly, won't be as smooth as their second fast. And this is generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, another factor that's not really talked about is how how well the person can adapt to and cope with suffering. So sometimes fasting is not pleasant. They might have aches and have suffering and heartburn or whatever, um, low-level headache, fatigue, irritability. There can be things that come up, and if they can't really cope with that very well, they're going to have to break the fast earlier. So if there are some sayings in the fasting world, a 21-day fast can cure just about anything. I don't necessarily agree with that 100%, but um, the longer we fast, the longer we can uh, let our body get towards deeper and deeper levels of healing. An analogy I think of, because my mind works really well with metaphors, maybe others <laughs> do as well, yeah. is if what if I had to clean, what if I the place I lived in, a home, a house, um, or an apartment, 
was utterly trashed. It just dishes were pet stacked everywhere. The counter was grease and grime. The toilets weren't clean. There was uh, piles of mail and newspaper and clutter and dirty laundry, everything. And and so um, that's the representation of our body, right? And, and what if the the king of England or the queen of England, um, I don't even know if there's a king of England anymore, uh, or the president <laughs> of the United States was coming over, and so you, you really wanted to get your place ready. But if you only had an hour to clean it up, or let's even say a day to clean it up, you might have to shove and stash, resort to the method of just putting things in the closets and hiding the piles, and right? Um, and if that's all you had to do, just 24 hours of cleaning. But if you had a week of cleaning, you could really get that place nice. And if you had two weeks, if you had four weeks of cleaning, you could then you could get down to the what I think of like the electronic cleaning, like on the desktop of my computer, all these icons that I don't use anymore and these emails I can go through and just getting down to the deeper and deeper levels. Everything's been dusted three times, four times. So the longer someone can fast within reason, um, the more um, the body can get to some of these chronic things that it's tucked away for a rainy day. And um, I think a great length of fast for the first time, if someone is just really kind of experimenting with this, would be a three-day. Like you could take off a Friday from work, um, or if you really had to, not recommended, then you could just drink water while you're at work on Friday and then fast on Saturday, Sunday, break on Monday morning and go to work. Um, so that's that's kind of a starting way. Um, or a five- or seven-day fast to extend it a little bit longer. And then when you get into these deeper fasts, these 14, 21, 28-day fasts, um, then it's, it becomes uh, a much more profound experience. The body can get down to the cellular level um, more thoroughly. Yeah. So I, I'm sure people are wondering that are listening, well, don't you get depleted when you do this, like the vitamins and minerals? I mean, what happens to all these things that we store up in our body? You know, What, do you, what would you say to that? Yeah, so we do have stores of these. Um, there's virtually no vitamin or mineral deficiencies that are shown to be present after one to two months of fasting um, in almost every study that's done uh, looked at this. Mm-hmm. I recently looked at this in a patient because I was really curious what happens in the first seven to ten days. Um, so I did a number of different biomarkers. I haven't yet had a chance to crunch the, the data, um, but so far just at a glance, um, it looks like there, there's, there's absolutely no vitamin or mineral deficiency taking place. There's, um, there needs to be a close watch on phosphorus because phosphorus is what can cause refeeding syndrome, a phosphorus deficiency, and then, and then suddenly going into uh, a high, a much elevated level of phosphorus could send somebody into a, a metabolic crisis. That's what they call mm-hmm. refeeding syndrome. It was studied in the um, first, dis- first discovered, I should say, in the um, World War II with the prisoners of war, and then they were refed, and, and then some of them died because they this wasn't understood. But mm-hmm. um, David Blaine, who's a, a performance artist, magician, etc., from England, um, fasted for 43 days in a glass box above London, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And so they um, they really carefully looked at his vitamins and minerals and found real, um, no depletion. And so wow. this is after one to two months. I, I don't think anybody listening is going to fast longer than two months. I wouldn't recommend fasting longer than one month um, unless um, you're being supervised carefully for the whole duration of the fast. There's a colleague yeah. of ours who um, called me and said, um, what, what, asked me what should she do because someone was 
well into a 30-day fast. I think that there were 23, 24 days into a fast, what they wanted to fast, 30 or 40 days. Um, but they didn't have any supervision, and then they just wanted her to take over and supervise. And that puts a practitioner into a quite a burden, quite a bind, um, without knowing any of the history and just to jump in. Imagine, oh, I started to remove my appendix. Now I'm going to yeah. call a surgeon and say, could you finish this off for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to touch on the most important part, in my opinion, about the fast, and that's how to get off of the fast, because I've done it two different ways. Once where I, I broke the fast with a pizza, <laughs> a whole pizza, and another time where I actually took your advice and did it the proper way and used the juice. And so could you talk a little bit about how to actually do the refeeding period after the fast? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and, and and I, you know, you're, you broke it on a pizza, I broke mine on a burrito. Um, <laughs> I think that... Um, as as I mentioned, this this it's called refeeding. So when somebody breaks a fast, they're going to start to eat again. Hence, refeeding. This is really the most important part of the fast. Not that the other parts are not important; they are. But this is the most important part. So let's just mathematically, however long somebody fasts, that refeeding period should be at least half the length of what that fast was. So if somebody fasted ten days, they should refeed for at least five days. Um, Certainly, the food that somebody refeeds with should be completely organic, fresh. Um, I wouldn't recommend uh, frozen at this point in time. Um, I think of refeeding in several different stages. So the first food that goes in is really called the breaking of the fast. And we do this, as as I mentioned, everybody fasts. Um, Most of us go to sleep at night, wake up in the morning, eat something, we break the fast, even if we skip breakfast and it's lunch, it's still breaking the fast. Um, if someone's on a graveyard or shift, you know, nice schedule, then they break the fast at a different time, but they still are breaking the fast. So breaking the fast of a longer time is longer duration. We, certainly we can get away with um, breaking the fast on most people like eggs and bacon and orange juice and toast, right, and cereal, milk. Uh, that's how people break their fast, their, their overnight fast. But the longer we fast, the more important this needs to be done really carefully. And so what's recommended is either fresh-made juice or diluted 50% water, 50% fresh-made juice, and then sipping on that and breaking the fast. Um, In essence, every time someone does an extended water-only fast, it is, or at least as a possibility, is an elimination reintroduction test. So you hear you're reintroducing food, so you can be really careful and notice how your body responds to the food that you're reintroducing. Some things that you think you tolerated well, you might learn, wow, that caused some headache or fuzzy brain or a rash or just digestive disturbance or achiness or whatever. Um, so a lot of times the juice that's to break it is watermelon juice or watermelon-celery combination. Um, but if if someone knows that they're uh, body doesn't work well with watermelon or celery, you could certainly do apple, cucumber. I would keep things very simple in the beginning, one or two ingredient items. And then uh, there's no one way to, there's, there, I should say there's many ways up the mountain on this refeeding thing. So um, some of the some of these um, wise gurus on fasting um, that have come and gone but left their writings would fast people on popcorn or, or break, break their fast on popcorn or break it on an orange <laughs> Um, Joel Furman would break people sometimes they're fast on um, steamed zucchini or other steamed greens so there's there's many ways up the mountain but I do think the juice is some of the best way because then you're not introducing fiber so quickly and 
that's the, the stage called breaking. Then there's an early, mid, and late stage of refeeding, and this would be starting to introduce more foods. I would definitely keep away with the acidic foods like the oranges and tomatoes and um, uh, lemon and or other citrus and keep away from things that are too spicy um, or garlic or onion. Save that for later on the re- later refeeding stages. Uh, but certainly fresh fruit or fresh vegetables um, can work. And then it, it needs to be individualized. So when I broke my fat, my 12-day fast, I did juicing for a while, but it just didn't seem to work. So then I switched to the steamed greens, and that worked great. So somebody, um, one person's body might work better with um, raw, and another person might work better with cooked. Um, okay. Little by little, you can add back things after the refeeding is, is done. So again, if it's a 10-day fast, five days of refeeding, maybe it's one day of juice, two days of raw, and two days of raw plus cooked. Um, and mm-hmm. certainly juice could be added in on all five days. Then slowly after the refeeding's done, adding back in the things you left off, the the grains or the beans or the um, fattier foods, the nuts and seeds, the avocado, um, and then later later into that, adding back in the animal products. And again, testing things that you're suspicious for. It's a great opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm thinking back to when I did my 10-day fast under your supervision. It was great. And um, I remember we I came into your office a couple times. My mom drove me in there because I was really tired, you know, because I was just relaxing. Just I was a bear. I was hibernating. Um, but she would bring me in, and, you know, I'd weigh myself. And um, I know that you, you checked some blood chemistry just to make sure that things were safe and I was doing well. So could you share a little bit about that? I know some of the people listening are medical students. So what are some of those markers yeah. that you check so for? So when we're medically... Yeah, when we're medically supervising a fast, um, part of that is to make sure that it's safe, and, and part of the safety is the way we can make sure it's safe is to do um, um, routine, like every five or six or seven days, um, CBCs and metabolic panels. Um, we're checking for the um, the electrolytes, making sure potassium, that's the one thing that can get depleted. And I find that that happens most commonly in people who are have... Um, will be referred to as adrenal fatigue, adrenal exhaustion. They just seem to burn through their potassium more quickly. That seems to be the rate limiting step. But there could be other electrolytes that could go off. Um, certainly sodium gets really low, and that's that's fine. Um, we'd check things throughout the fast, uh, urinalysis, vital signs. Um, if we need to, uh, we can run electrocardiograms um, and other tests, just whatever is needed. Um, so at minimum, every six days, we would do these blood work, but as needed. So we can run STAT, the, the quick uh, turnaround time on metabolic panels and make sure the potassium is fine. If it's not, then we can do um, what's called a pause, where we just temporarily break the fast with the intention of going back into water only. Some people, that can be really difficult to, to wrap their minds around when they're going through this, like they've broken the fast, and then to go back to water could be a bit of a challenge um, mentally or emotionally. Um, So these pauses would be just feeding them small amounts of juice every so often or um, making a a broth of soup and feeding them that every so often and then then eventually when they're stabilized going back into water only. Most people, though, they do a pause and then the pause ends up being their uh, refeeding period. Right. (laughs) Got it. Okay, cool. Well, um, I want to open up the phone lines. We've had a caller so patiently waiting, but I just wanted to get through some of these basic questions. Oh, thanks for waiting, caller. Yeah, so this is a caller from the 508. Caller, are you there? Yes. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. Dr. Low Radio, what's your name and where are you calling from? Lisa calling from Massachusetts. Hello, Lisa. Thanks for your call. What's your question? 
I have done a couple of 36-hour water fasts, and the next day I've had to stay within running distance to the bathroom, and I was just wondering, is that typical, and is it likely to go away if I did the fast more often or did them for a longer length of time? Okay, so when you said going to the bathroom, meaning like diarrhea or? Yes. um, Okay. Yeah, so your body's going through a really intense um, discharge that's, it actually would be important for you to be able to get through. Sometimes in the old, older um, books on healing, natural healing, we call this the healing crisis or healing reaction. It'd be important to get through that and get to the other side. So I, it would stop. Um, some people will do, and this is a very debatable topic, um, but what isn't debatable? Some people will do um, enemas or colonics either before or during their their fast. Um, whereas other fasting experts would frown upon that, thinking that it might throw off the electrolytes. I think it's useful to to do, um, sometimes do a colonic or an enema early on in the fast. Um, it's better to have what you're describing than the patient who is impacted, and then they can have a really a much, much bigger problem. It could also be, um, one other thought, Lisa, is that it could be that uh, maybe you didn't prepare enough for the 36-hour fast, but my suspicion is if you could stay with it um, and just make sure that you're not losing too much fluids or electrolytes from diarrhea, depending on how profuse it is, um, if you could stay with it and get to the other side, you'd have a profound healing response. And Great, it would be good you. to have somebody supervise that, yeah. And is there any benefit to, yes, is there any benefit to doing a cleanse with fermented beverages? Good question. Um, I don't know of anybody who's done that. Uh, you're talking maybe like a, a kefir or a, um, uh, I don't know, sauerkraut or something, the juice or from a sauerkraut. Or kombucha or something like that. Kombucha, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm generally not a fan of kombucha just simply because of um, how it's derived with the sugar and the, the fungus um, and seeing certain people have like a, almost like a yeast reaction to it get itchy all over their body. Um, and yet other people tolerate kombucha really well. So um, I don't know the answer to your question. I haven't seen it in any of the literature or read about it or, or heard of it. If you do it, let me know. I would be very curious what your body's response is. Okay. Thank you very much. Lisa. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right, we have. Um, it looks like our our switchboard just lit up like a Christmas tree. So we have another call. <laughs> so one person has the guts, and everyone's like, "I want to call." Okay, so we have a, a caller from the eight five zero. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Caller eight five zero. Are you there? Hello, caller eight five zero. You're on Doctor Low Radio. Okay, let's move on to the next one. So caller from the three two three. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Dr. Lowe, how's it going? This is Dane. I'm calling from California. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, oh, we yeah. can hear you. Thanks for your question. Or thanks for calling in. What's your question? Uh, yeah, um, you know, when it comes to fasting, you know, is there any way around the, the headaches when the detoxing starts? You know, I've, I've done a master cleanse, and, you know, e- even water um, fasting from time to time. But, you know, they say when the toxins start to come out, you know, they say that's when you get the migraines, and that, that's what I usually get. When I cleanse, and you know, so I only cleanse like maybe every six months. And I'm wondering, is there a, um, a way around that, a way to uh, to to make that more tolerable? Where you're trying to get all the toxins out? Because I didn't want to put medicines in, because I'm trying to get all the toxins out. You know, even though I go back to the same, 
eating and whatnot after it's over, but sometimes, but, you know, you know, just, you know, to say that, you know, full disclosure, but, you know, um, is there any way around the headaches is my question, you know, when you cleanse and stuff like that, when the toxins come out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question, and um, the headaches are really a common symptom that occur for, for many people, not necessarily on every fast, but... Um, Again, it's sometimes uh, people expect a fast to um, to be the be all end all that one time, and, and it can take repeated fasts to to achieve the goals, the, the health goals that somebody's after. So the headaches won't necessarily be with every time, but some people think that these headaches are withdrawal headaches um, because they're stopping the use of overstimulating substances like sugar or caffeine. Um, right. There were some rec- yeah, there were some researchers who had arrived at a different conclusion, and they they found that dehydration that their theory was maybe dehydration was the cause of of a fasting headache, but in their study they concluded that um, it wasn't due to dehydration. So I think it just depends on person from person to person. Yeah, because when I when I was doing a master cleanse, I had you know I was drinking those you know those concoctions of like you know the water constantly with lemon in it and stuff like that you know and the cayenne pepper I was, I was drinking constantly you know but you know it was just like i just didn't do the food thing or whatever you know i just did that juice thing for a while you know and i was wondering you know maybe you, like I, I thought about the withdrawal thing too like you were saying and whatnot but you were saying it's something else well and, and fasting can be a, a a recommended course of action to treat a, a headache um there was an article in 2010 where they found prolonged fasting um, successfully um, treated headaches. So it could be that this is one of those detox things, and then when your body has moved beyond, I, I don't know how long have you water fasted for? Um, right. Well, like you know, when I was doing a master cleanse out, you know, I would do it for like three weeks. And stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I would do it with friends of mine as well, you know, because you know they had high blood pressure, so their their headaches came. I, I'm su- I'm supposing because they were eating food that messed with their high blood, and that's why they got their headaches, you know. And maybe so, yeah. Well, the master cleanser would be a different story, but on water only, it, it's possible that your body was just releasing things into the bloodstream that were irritating and created some of these side effects. And if you could only go long enough through it, um, you might get to the other side where you wouldn't have the headaches. And it could be a long last oh, that's thing. the thing. Yeah. It's oh. just getting to the other side, and, and that's where um, if somebody's not ready, they might break the their fast early. If if they could go through it again exactly. at another time, then go longer, they know what to expect. They're, they're more prepared mentally, emotionally to deal with the headache and then right. they get through it. But it could also be a hydration status because people fasting in and of itself is slightly dehydrating, even if somebody's drinking wow. enough water. So well, usually, I'm gonna look it, at it like a rite of passage, yeah. like you said. Like you know, it has to happen, but I can get it's the other side to that where it eventually it's going to stop. You say, yeah. Awesome, Excellent. Dean. Thanks for your question. Hey, thanks for having the show. I'm listening online. Yeah, great. Yeah, Sounds great good. Thanks for yeah. your question. All right, so let's uh, just get to these couple other things. And, and also, call, if there's any other callers who'd like to call in, 818-495-6919. We could probably take one more question. I know we're kind of plowing through this time schedule here. Um, so, Dr. Kearney, I know that some people are probably wondering this question. We're talking about water fasting. 
what type of water? I know this is probably a whole other lecture we could give about different types of water, but what type of water do you recommend for your water fasting patients? So I recommend distilled water. If they can't have access to distilled, then deionized or reverse osmosis would work fine as well. Um, some people have a water distiller in their own home. Uh, just make sure it's well-maintained, that it's descaled. Hopefully there's some kind of um, a way to sterilize it. Um, and during a water fast, people can taste so much better. So the water, they'll taste the impurities in the water when they get deeper and deeper into the fast. Um, so that's my recommendation at uh, Joel Furman's. When he had Dr. Furman had a fasting center, he had people on reverse osmosis. At um, True North Health, they used distilled, or at least they did when I was there. But there's other fasting experts. Um, Buner, Stephen Buner is one of them, and he recommends spring water. So um, that has lots of minerals in it. I don't. That's why I recommend distilled because distilled doesn't have any anything in it except for H2 and O. Um, if somebody doesn't have access to any of these things, you can buy some brands of um, bottled water. The the problem there is that it's been stored in a plastic bottle, and so there's a question whether it's been leached or not. I wouldn't recommend going to the grocery store and getting distilled water, even though they have it for like you know to pour in somebody's iron um, for their <laughs> ironing board. Um, because then it's in really flimsy plastic, and, and almost certainly that that plastic, the plasticizers have leached into the water. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, but there are these water stations where you can go and fill a jug. If you're doing that, I'd recommend getting glass containers, and the quantity of water should be approximately uh, a gallon, plus or minus a day, depending on a, a wide range of variables. Too much water, you're going to dilute the blood and, and and screw up the electrolytes. Too little water, you're going to over-concentrate the blood and screw up the electrolytes. That's why we check the urine and we check the um, the blood on a routine basis. Okay. And what about drinking, like, mineral water or club soda during the fast? Yeah, so um, the purest form of water available, it, some of these bottled water brands, one is uh, Penta. It has this 13-stage thing that they um, say that the water goes through a filtration. That seems to be a really pure one. Um mm -hmm. The, the bubbly, we save the bubbles um, if somebody's really nauseous. Somehow that seems to help. Or to break the monotony, like you can have a little bit of the bubble bubble water. <laughs> but not if it has any sodium in it. You have to read the labels and make sure it says zero milligrams of sodium. I remember during no, my fast, I would have the bubbly water, and it, it's like it, it just tasted like chocolate cake. It's like because <laughs> I was used to so much water, it was like, oh, my gosh, this bubbly water is so good. <laughs> Yeah, it becomes funny. quite a task to force, yeah. not force feeding, but force drinking. One a person usually goes through that at some point in their fast where like, oh, I don't want to drink any more water. But then you know you have to, otherwise you can end up in, in trouble. Um, <laughs> but so, again, no sodium, no flavoring, no, no nothing in there except for water and then the carbonation. And there's different brands. Arrowhead is one of those brands. Okay. And then um, what's what's your recommended brand for a reverse osmosis system that people can get? Um, I I don't know anymore um, of, uh, of wh who's out there and what's which ones are good um, for mm -hmm. RO. I do know for um, distillers, um, there's one just simply called Pure Water that's good. There's another one that's mm -hmm. Polar, like Polar Bear. Um, that's another good one. But there's probably lots of available ones. I would just check with even some of these um, um, hardware stores or check online and see um, some of the reviews, consumer reports. Okay. Um, 
And I'm thinking that we got to do a part two of this show because we didn't get to juice cleansing at all. And I think it's okay because I think all of these um, questions and topics were really important for water cleansing, but I don't think we're going to get to juice cleansing. <laughs> but I think sure. we can touch on a couple more things. So let's talk about intermittent fasting. And what do you think about doing, you know, fasting like maybe once per week, like one day out of the week? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? So there's there's mixed um, agreement. The, some of the experts on fasting are um, diametrically opposed about this. Um, whether to you know, skip one day a week, let's say I'm not going to eat anything on Sunday. Um, the the cons of that is that it's putting the body into an overdrive to get into this adaptation mode. And here we are, we're starting to get into this mode, starting and then after the 24th hour, then we break the fast and we go back. And so it's it's expending a lot of energy and not getting much out of it because um, a lot of the benefits of the fast occur later. Um, than than the first day or two. However, there are some benefits that occur, and so skipping one day out of the week can be beneficial. It, it can just give the digestive system a break. Um, it certainly is one form of calorie restriction. Um, other people fast um, the majority of the day, and so they have what's called a, a shortened window of eating, um, so maybe they're only eating five hours out of the day and then fasting 19 hours out of the day, so to speak. Um, so that's another way to do intermittent fasting. And then there's alternate day fasting where um, the the fast would occur um, every other day. And then you make up the difference on the alternate days of um, of eating. So the problem with that is that some data shows that people overeat on those days that they're eating, um, and they they make up more than the difference in calories, and, and so that, that could be a challenge for the body. But there's other benefits that are shown with alternate day eating, um, longevity benefits, and um, again, giving the body some, some break, digestive system, a rest. Then there's Ramadan, where they fast um, from sunup to sundown, and then they eat from sundown to sunup. So that's another another way of fasting. Um, but some of the studies on, there's been quite a few studies on Ramadan um, fasters and, and the benefits, and some of them just end up having a, a almost like a gorge themselves when they are breaking the fast. Others do really well and break the fast carefully. Okay. So for those listening that want to do fasting, maybe they don't want to do it at home. I know you know of a lot of different fasting centers that you might recommend, so can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. I would suggest a place where um, somebody could supervise you around the clock, um, where they um, have an inpatient facility that um, can handle a ch- an emergency if some were to rise. May, in other words, they can either handle it in-house or they could um, quickly get you to a, um, an urgent or an emergency department if, if need be. Um, there's Probably the best and most experienced place um, that I could recommend would be True North Health in Northern California, and that's Dr. Alan Goldhammer's place. There's also um, a fasting center in the Midwest, um, and that was run by the late Dr. D.J. Scott. Um, he had been fasting; he had fasted people for over 60 years, I believe. Um, at any rate, he um, has passed away. But that place is now um, 
being um, operated and, and supervised by Dr. Nick Tanchef. So they're still taking they're pa- taking patients. There's other facilities where they, and those those two are just exclusively water only fasting. Those other places out of the country, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Alec Burton's place in Australia. Um, would be a wonderful place if somebody wants to travel abroad or if somebody's listening from abroad. Um, you can go on the International Association of Hygienic Physicians and find out who has received appropriate training. Just because somebody's not on that list doesn't mean they're um, unable to effectively supervise somebody's fast. But if somebody is on that list, they've gone through the appropriate training. And there's some facilities that are listed there as well. Awesome. Dr. Carney, what are um, some resources for people to learn some more if they want to read up on this? So I would highly recommend um, the book by Dr. S- uh, Stephen Buner, which is called The Fasting Path. And um, he's just now released, I thought it was going to be a new edition, but it, I think it's just a reprint. There's also Fasting and Eating for Health, which is the book by Dr. Joel uh, Furman. He's um, written an excellent book, and Chapter 10 has What to Expect on the First Fast. There's also um, Herbert Shelton's book, which is um, Fasting Can Save Your Life, and I think that's in the 14th or so reprint. Um, just a little caution there that Shelton wasn't known for um, his writing. He he has lots of great information, but it might be a little disjointed or um, somewhat challenging to read. But... Um, the greatest resource has yet to be written, and that'll be the book that I'm uh, in the midst of. <laughs> so you'll have to stay tuned for that one. Of course. Um, any last minute, you know, parting words for our listeners um, before we let you go? Sure. I, I think we should at least tie up a loose end about cancer. Um, so it's really amazing what uh, researchers, quite a few researchers, have found on humans, first on animals and then on humans that were receiving chemotherapy, that when they fasted this pa- the patients for a few days before the day of and then a, the day after the chemotherapy, it put the body into a, this adaptation mode. And in that ad- adaptation mode, there was these shock proteins and these sirtuin pathways and other things that were really activated and that protected the healthy cells, and it made the cancer cells more vulnerable. Um, it also reduced the side effects of the some of these some of these chemotherapeutic agents dramatically. So um, it was, of course, the special patient that could go through this process, and certainly if they had cancer and they were um, wasting away with cachexia, they wouldn't be put through this process of of fasting. But for other patients, it seems to be a very important um, and potentially useful tool. Uh, I don't think it's hit the oncology world um, full full steam yet, but it will, so be on the lookout for that. and then I would also say we're trained in this society, at least in, in the Western societies, um, to think of things like open-heart surgery is no big deal and fasting is radical. But I ask you, the listener, what's really radical? To just rest, give your body a lot of rest. And physiological rest is certainly a big part of how fasting helps. And And then drink water. Or to go into a hospital and get your chest cracked open with rib spreaders and your heart put on um, an artificial machine keeping it alive So and, and then having um, some of your arteries cut out of certain places and sewn in other places. <laughs> Which one is the radical treatment? <laughs> so um, 
fasting is really a simple, useful tool that has a wide array of uses, and we certainly should at least pay mention to the spiritual aspects of fasting. There's political aspects and so many other things. So a lot of people will fast for spiritual purposes to enhance their prayers, to get clarity on their life. Um, Maybe they're going through a transition or they want to, it's a rite of passage. Certain cultures, Native American tribes, would use fasting and vision quests and sun dances. So this is a really vast topic. I'm I'm sure we could talk more and more about it, but... um, it's, it's usually safe. If you're going to be doing an extended fast, I would recommend to have somebody who's experienced supervise your fast. Um, and um, I'd say allow, uh, allow nature to come into your body. This is really the biggest message that our bodies have with the wherewithal within them to, um, to heal themselves if we can just get out of our own way. And fasting is one possibility for doing that. What did you notice for yourself when you did your fast? What benefits did you experience? Well, I wasn't fasting for any um, specific reason other than to learn more about it. Um, But I was surprised. I think it was day four or five that I started craving Velveeta cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And I hadn't eaten eaten Velveeta for years, for decades. In my (laughs) childhood, I had it. So I figured it was cleansing out of me, finally coming out of my pores or somehow... (laughs) Um, but it was uh, what really took me um, by surprise pleasantly was day six or seven when I had a um, almost this enhanced mental acuity to the point where I had so many creative thoughts coming in and I was taking notes and journaling. I could not keep up with my thoughts. And so I was designing mm-hmm. like the clinic of the future and all these other ideas were coming to mind um, it was just amazing. I felt um, I felt great when when I when I broke my fast. I broke it on watermelon juice, and I did this very intentionally. And I I just did it alone in a quiet place. And that first sip of of juice in my mouth brought me to tears. So um, it just it it reminded me of the uh, connection that I have to food, and. Um, and of the amazing power that my body has to to reset and, and reestablish a healthier place, a healthier homeostasis. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow, good stuff, Dr. Carney. I'm so glad you're able to join me on this show, finally. Yeah, maybe we can talk later. I'm, I'm planning on doing a, a vision quest in the wilderness of four days duration, just staying in in a like a five foot by five foot place for four days with water only and and a heavy duty blanket. Um, well, you have to bring your computer with you, and we'll do a webcam. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll hide a little camera. Um, yeah. Reality. So there's TV. so many applications. It's just a really vast topic, and I'm great grateful to be able to to chat with you about it. Yeah, and I really do want to have you back on the show to talk about some juice cleansing because I think um, that's a really important topic too. But this is just too important of a topic to you know not get through all these really big questions. And um, so I'm glad that we spent the time to do it. So where can our listeners learn learn more about you? So you can visit my website at yourhealingplace.com, or um, you can call our office at three zero three six three six. 
And at yourhealingplace.com, there's a little introductory video about myself and um, and Dr. Carly and uh, our clinic. We have an eco-clinic in in, um, Denver, Colorado. We've built it out to be sustainable so that people can come in and not not breathe off-gassing chemicals and so that we're having a, a less impact on our environment. Awesome. I love it. Dr. Carney, thanks again for joining me. Have a beautiful evening. You're welcome. Thank you, too. Thanks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate that. We had so many people listen tonight. It was great. All these questions. It was awesome. Um, Definitely check out yourhealingplace.com. My website is drlaurennoel.com. If you're in the San Diego area, we are having an event at um, our clinic, Bloom Natural Health, on Thursday at 6 o'clock. So come by. We have a free health lecture. And uh, looking forward to next week's show with Dr. Nassar. It's going to be a show on anti-aging. So tune into that and have a beautiful evening. Thanks again. Bye. North Pole Hotline. Help. My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details. Get ready to rise and shine. Get ready to dive in, reach out, to grow. Get ready to launch and to lead. Get ready for your hire. Visit rmu.edu today to see the stats, stories, and rankings. Robert Morris University. Get ready.